Imagine it's 1784. You're a young new member of the British Parliament. You feel that you finally arrived in society. Your endless work at various schools, the important contacts you cultivated at Cambridge, including a close personal friendship with rising political star William Pitt, have all paid off. At just 21 years old, you've achieved more than most men can expect to accomplish in a lifetime. Yet something feels strangely unsettled in your mind. You've only just come back from a holiday in Europe, where you renewed an acquaintance with a former teacher. A strong Christian, he spoke to you about a living reality of God and the actual person of Jesus, exciting in you the religious attitudes of your childhood. But when you parted ways, he gave you a book to read, William Law's A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. You read it, perhaps out of boredom or just plain curiosity, but whatever your intentions, it seems to have stuck like a barb in your heart, and you feel uneasy about your life and the state of your soul. This feeling has tormented you for weeks. Finally, you've come for advice to John Newton, a famous preacher and former slave ship captain, and a personal friend of your mother. I want to follow Christ, you tell him excitedly. I think I am really prepared to give up everything to God and to spend my life in pursuit of Him and His will. Newton smiles and invites you to explain more deeply. He tells you of his own conversion. He opens the Bible and shows you the plan of salvation in God's Word. He prays with you and encourages you to begin a discipline of regular prayer and scripture reading. But while the joy of this newfound calling is still fresh, there remains a heavy question at the back of your mind. You take a deep breath and ask the old pastor, Reverend John, you begin, my whole life I have worked and charmed my way to where I am. I have hoped to be in government for as long as I can remember, but I am beginning to wonder if I must give up my seat in Parliament. Can one serve both God and one's nation? The old man looks at you kindly and smiles, the wrinkles on his sea-weathered face deepening. God, he says, has raised you up for the good of the church and the good of the nation. Maintain your friendship with Pitt. Continue in Parliament. Who knows? that but for such a time as this, God has brought you into public life and has a purpose for you. You nod thoughtfully, shake Newton's hand and thank him for his time. You wonder about the former slaver's words. For what purpose could God have placed you in Parliament? The answer could only be found in years of life faithfully lived, serving in government office and regular insight from your friend and mentor all the while an ever-growing clarity to the call of God on your life. You couldn't know it then, but decades later your work in Parliament, your faithfulness to God and His Word, and especially your friendship with John Newton, would lead to the abolition of the slave trade in Great Britain and all its provinces.
Well, welcome everybody uh, to episode nine of the These Days podcast, season two. Uh, this is Dwayne and Ben here. Hello. And we are back in the Paradise Public House. Hey, uh, tonight. Yep. also known as my house. Yeah, yeah, in this beautiful, beautiful place uh, of the Shire. And uh, looks like we've got a lot of people here tonight. Some special guest, actually. Wait, what? What is? Uh, why? Um, why is it both the public house, the Paradise Garden of Eden, and the Shire? Well, because they're all sort of Edenic, Ben. But like my house is like three different things, and your house is just Narnia. Yeah. In fact, yeah. speaking of Narnia, do you remember last week you promised that we would have Aslan? I did. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did. Uh, oh, I did. Look. I did pull some strings. I did manage oh. to uh, get. Oh, oh, oh. That's uh, that's just Aslan saying. Wow. Like, no yeah. That, that'll make you stand up and say, "Yes, sir. Thank you for being here." Uh, <laughs> we just wanted to bring Aslan along because we wanted it to be a family program, Ben. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Want, you know, that that's just awesome. But uh, uh, it's still about theology for the people, uh, or what we could talk about as the third way. The uh, 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 what has been called the resistance movement of subversive but peaceful uh, people uh, of the coming of the kingdom of God, and uh, ran across an article that was sent to us by a faithful listener. This is a good listener. I'm not going to mention his name. We really do rate our listeners, by oh, the way. Just, well, and this is just top... No, I'm just kidding. We don't yeah, do that. No, we don't. But this yeah. is a top-notch listener. Well, the reason I'm not saying his name is because I don't want some other podcast to try and steal him because he's that great of a listener. So... Uh, but he sent an article. And it's not, wait, just like uh, just, yeah. just 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 disclaimer. This listener we're talking about is not either of us. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. So this is an article from uh, Christianity Today of this month uh, that we're uh, putting this podcast together, and it's with uh, Rowan Williams, who is the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. He right? was. He yeah. was. Yeah. Oh, he was. Okay. Yep. I don't keep up on my archbishops uh, so well, but. They interviewed him, uh, and he had some powerful things to say about theological education, and sort of fits right in with our theology for the people. And just want to read the opening quote. They asked him the question of, "What do you think the purpose of the nature and the nature of uh, theological education is?" And he said this. He says, "Well, in the broadest possible sense, theological education is learning more about the world that faith creates." or the world that faith trains you to inhabit. And that's kind of where we, I mean, we're constantly you know, bouncing between Narnia and all these other places. Uh, but the reality is, is that there is a real uh, space uh, called the kingdom of God. That's what I really hear. This is uh, Williams again. That's what I really want to come to, back to again and again when I talk about theology. It's not about a set of issues or problems. It's about a landscape you move into, the new creation. He's using biblical words there. The new creation, if you like. You inhabit this new set of relationships and new set of perspectives, and you see differently, you sense differently, you relate differently. And I think that fits exactly with uh, where we're going today, Ben. So why don't you lead us into the uh, cold open, what that was about, and the big idea. Sure. You know, that quote from Rowan Williams actually also makes me think of what we're going to talk about in the next episode. But uh-huh. uh, but today's yes, episode, uh, we're really focusing on hope. Like we are all season long, hope, just putting hope under a microscope. What does it mean to have hope in the resilient way of Jesus? And we're talking about hope and human friendship. And how does that, how do those things to those two things relate? And that cold open you just heard 
uh, talking about John Newton, famous for writing the hymn Amazing Grace, was a huge figure in uh, the uh, Christian uh, uh, community in England in the 1700s, and he was a former slave ship captain and wrote many, many hymns and had many, many famous uh, works, books, and sermons that he gave, but also was hugely influential with some of the main kind of movers and shakers of the day, including a guy named William Wilberforce, who was sort of the main character in that cold open. And when William Wilberforce became like a committed follower of Jesus, just after he had joined Parliament, he kind of re-encountered Jesus and wanted to give his whole life to Jesus. He went to John Newton and he said, I think I need to give up my seat in Parliament so I can fully serve God. And John Newton said, no, don't do that, because God has you where you are on purpose, and he has a mission for you. And over time, William Wilberforce discovered that uh, his main mission in life was to uh, fight against and eventually abolish the slave trade in Great Britain and all of its provinces. And uh, John Newton, being a former slave ship captain, was a huge part of encouraging that and supporting him in that, ultimately even wrote a book, an, an account of his life as a slave ship captain, just to show why it, why this horrible thing needed to end. And uh, by the end of Wilberforce's life, uh, through his work in Parliament and all kinds of different uh, avenues, he they actually did manage to end the slave trade. And it kind of all boils down to that friendship that he cultivated with uh, John Newton, the John Newton and William Wilberforce. He was kind of like a, a mentor and friend uh, to William Wilberforce, and they uh, th- that friendship gave birth to this whole abolitionist movement that, uh, that Will- William Wilberforce uh, spearheaded in that time in England. And uh, you can read all about that in Eric Metaxas's book, Amazing Grace. There's also a movie of the same name, yep. Amazing Grace. Good movie. About, about that story. So today we're talking about hope and human friendship and how human friendship uh, sort of leads us into the kingdom of God and how it's sort of our way through in the kingdom of God. The resilient uh, way of Jesus we know from reading the scriptures and from things we already talked about is not a way of isolation. It's not just me and Jesus doing our thing, but it's a way of community. It's a way of fellowship. It's a way of family, uh, the household of God. We've talked about that before. And uh, there is power and joy in the in fellowship with other believers, and that's part of the resilience. Is when I uh, get the stuffing knocked out of me, somebody else is there to minister to me in the name of Jesus, and so I'm able to sort of get back up and keep going. So we're able to refine each other's focus, help each other see the kingdom, encourage each other when it's difficult. And the question we're really asking today is, how does this hope and human friendship in the kingdom of God and the resilient way of Jesus, how does that work in these? days, these strange days where it seems like many things are assailing or attacking our ability to maintain deep Christ-centered relationships. And as we were talking about this, I thought about a quote by my favorite author. Uh, Dad, who's your favorite author? Um, well, that's just really hard to say, Ben. But it's probably C.S. Lewis, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Well, my, my C.S. Lewis, my favorite author, is G.K. Chesterton. Well, guess who brought, uh, whose books caused C.S. Lewis to become a believer in God? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, G.K. Chesterton. That's right. So G.K. Chesterton, I like him because he's a goofball and also really <laughs> smart. Uh, yeah. But he has this great, um, probably his best book he ever wrote, a novel called The Man Who Was Thursday. And uh, in the in this novel, uh, he says he says this, and I, I really love this statement. It says, "Through all this ordeal, his root horror had been isolation, and there are no words to express the abyss 
between isolation and having one ally. It may be conceded to mathematicians that four is twice two, but two is not twice one. Two is 2,000 times one. I love that because it just shows the power of uh, Christ-centered friendship and what happens when we have one ally in the, the resilient way of Jesus, somebody that we're walking alongside as we follow Jesus. It just makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, and that's uh, the compelling thing. I mean, would you, you'd say probably say that G.K. Chesterton is a friend, quote-unquote, from the past, right? I mean, there's a, there's a connection there because he, he grabs you every time you read him. It's sort of like what my uh, uh, old friend, uh, Dr. Jim Houston, says, is we need to uh, read the great saints of the past and uh, become friends with them uh, for a lifetime. And uh, I actually had an experience of that that's kind of interesting last night. I don't know where this is going to go, but you would be proud of me, Ben. I looked up a friend from over 40 years ago on Facebook. Oh, on the Facebook. You know, I don't even have one of those. Well, I didn't really think I did either, but I I found out (laughs) that I still do. Cool. And uh, I friended him, but I'm not sure how... (laughs) I'm not sure how to communicate with them other than that. I did that little green button where it says, uh, be their friend. And um, But what caused me to do it is I, I was listening to an old album. I'm starting to listen to vinyl again. Listen to an old album from the early 70s by a guy named Jim Croce. You ever heard of Jim Croce? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he he uh, we, we used to sit, this friend and I, this is like in 75, 76, 77. We used to sit around and just... Uh, pick apart his songs and learn to play them on our guitars. Nice. And he had a great guitar. Uh, he had a great style on the guitar, this friend. And he had a great um, voice. And I thought, you know, I should look him up again. And uh, I think I found him. And that friendship from all those years ago was a compelling enough uh, uh, experience for me to remember it fondly enough to do something that I haven't done in years, and that is go on Facebook. You know me. Uh, ben, I would like to pull a plug of uh, Facebook if I could. Oh, wouldn't uh, we all at the yeah, moment? But, but I, I went to the shadows. I went to the dark side just because I wanted to <laughs> the find dark my web. friend. Yeah, the dark. Yeah, <laughs> well, not that far. But anyway, uh, that and and that just shows you the um, also on the flip side of that, uh, friendship uh, in is difficult in these times. And and I'm not saying it's because something political. I'm not saying that it's something that's happening in the culture or that somehow this is uh, these are worse days than I've ever been on the planet. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying in the place that we have come to as people and as a world and as a as society, friendship just is difficult now uh, because it's all pushing us apart in another direction. One of the major problems. Uh, of that is that we use the same language oftentimes, but we mean different things. I mean, just, you know, think about the times when you tell somebody you're a Christian and all the things that pop into their head, if they're not, about what that means for you. And and, and we have been about, um, you know, switching the meaning of words for a long, long time, and it's difficult to communicate. Friends, if they're going to be friends, need to be able to communicate. And so we're sort of like two ships passing in the night uh, so often. I I was reading a book, um, uh, rereading a book called uh, Impossible People by Oz Guinness that had a great illustration. He was asked to teach uh, at a big evangelism congress or conference in Manila, uh, Philippines in 1989 called Luzon. I think uh, Billy Graham put that together. And he was asked to speak on the subject of mission and modernity. 
And afterwards, a woman came up to him, and she was very upset. She said, you know, I didn't hear all that you said, you know, but I didn't understand, and I didn't understand everything I heard, but please let me ask a question. Why in the world did they ask a man to speak about maternity? <laughs> and he said he had to explain to the, uh, the, the woman that it was modernity. So, I mean, the reality is, is we live in a world like that. That's one thing that makes uh, friendships difficult. But another thing that makes uh, friendships difficult is the shifting of meaning uh, in a large degree because of pop philosophies and ideologies that are so loud for our, our, our own time. They actually overshadow everything else uh, that we hear and see. We, we've sort of set up this season, season two. We, 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 each season, it seems, we have sort of a bad man. Uh, last... Uh, uh, Last season, it was the autonomous self. And this season, it's the critical theory. Uh, we, we've gone in, I'm not going to get into detail on that because we went through that in some detail. Uh, I can't remember if it was a second or third podcast of this season. But basically, it's running a lot of what's going on. And, and both of these uh, ideologies, as well as some others uh, that are afloat out there right now, the, these ideologies' uh, purpose is to divide and conquer. You know, it's not about befriending anybody. It's about getting your agenda across and so forth and so on or it's sort of a slash and burn you know to the ground philosophies you burn the ground then you rebuild what you want uh, that's really what those philosophies are about and they target the need that we all have and have been created with by god uh, that at the core of christian faith is friendship it's it's uh you know uh that involves cutting one another some slack and really trying to understand and listen to one another but not many people listen to each other anymore now we want to make sure that we're clear on this business about the uh uh critical theory uh what you know what makes it so insidious is that there are big lies that are couched in real truths like critical theory turns every relationship, which is a, 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 a real truth relationship, into a power dynamic, which destroys the possibility of real friendship. Or, you know, if we discount the pain of victims altogether, uh, that also makes real friendships impossible. Right. It's like it's sort of like uh, we we have we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. With right. the autonomous self, there is a real sense in which freedom and individual choice is super important, and even in the kingdom of God, and so many things are lost if we get rid of that. Yeah. Same thing is true if we deny the reality of victimization or oppression or even just the pain of somebody who's been victimized, then, then that also gets rid of the uh, opportunity for real friendship. So, and, and really, this this country was built on freedom and individual choice. Right. So uh, even though we have these sort of like tar things that we target in each season, we don't want to say that uh, it's all all bad and no truth, or all lies and no truth. The 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 problem is if we uh, go to the extreme on either end of of crit fourth critical theory against critical theory, then we're ultimately going to miss what God is trying to do and the kingdom He's trying to bring. Yeah, and we, it's it's just better to go uh, to get at the the matter uh, through the Scripture, I think, rather than trying to go through anyone's uh, ideology on whatever side that is, but. Uh, I, th I think that we, uh, we, we just need to understand that, that God wants us to have friendships, and he wants us to look to him as to how. I, I love a quote here from Augustine of Hippo from a, a book I have been very, very slowly working my way through for the last four years or so. It's quite a long time for a book. Yeah. I mean, I'm a slow reader, but not usually that slow. <laughs> but 
Uh, it's called The City of God. And he says something interesting that sort of lays the groundwork for what I'm saying here. He says, suppose we were to, to define what it means to be a people, not in the usual way, but in a different fashion, such as the following. A people in a multitudinous assemblage. We better put that in our, our a uh, multi- dictionary. Multitudinous Multi- assemblage. Yes, I think that means many, many people in the one place. A people in a multitudinous uh, assemblage of rational beings united by con- concord regarding loved things held in common. In other words, they all hold in common that they love certain things. And that's pretty common for our world. Then, if we wish to discern the character of any given people, if we want to know if that they're in the, going in the right direction, we would have to investigate what it loves. Surely, it is better or worse uh, people as it is united in loving things that are better or worse. In other words, what we focus on really does have to do, who we love and what we love really does have to do with how our friendships and our relationships go. And that's a clue to why it's so hard to make friends in these days, deep, real friendships, uh, uh, trusting friendships, because a lot of those underpinnings are being uh, undercut. And this also is the link to next week's podcast. I'll just put a commercial in there. But um, I noticed a chapter in a book that we mentioned last week called Reframation uh, by Hirsch and Nelson. Uh, they talked about being stranded in Greytown. And I think that's a pretty good ex- uh, example of what it means uh, to be living in this world. It, there's sort of a, a Greytown where everything's gray. It's difficult to know what, who, uh, what's uh, uh, real and what's not and that sort of thing. And, and God designed us not to live in sort of grays and, and muted tones. He, I think he designed us, which is why uh, people like G.K. Chesterton were so attractive. He designed it to live, uh, uh, for us to live in friendships, but friendships with, that bring color and light into our lives and into the world. But we've got to define friendship and the way uh, it was meant to be defined, uh, or we will constantly be looking for the next thing if we have to keep defining it ourselves. And our friendships will be uh, wide. Uh, we'll, we'll go from one person to another, but they will be very shallow, which we see a lot of that, too, uh, in our world today. Uh, and uh, Jesus taught us, actually, what friendship really is. Yeah, you know, uh, that's, I think it's true. If you look at the, our social situation, if, I mean, even if we just look at social media, and I know social media sort of gets ragged on all the time, but uh, it's it's really did. it really <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it really does train us how to relate to other people from very young ages. It trains us how to how we're going to relate to other people, and it's about uh, you know trying to say things that people will like and enjoy hearing, enjoy reading, express their approval in one way or another by clicking a button. It's about uh, trying to have as many followers, friends. Uh, that you're connected to as possible, but not necessarily going super deep with them. You don't really want all the details. You just want certain details. Um, and so there's this this sort of reality that we say we love. And I've also noticed this. We say as a culture how much we love 
connection, being connected to each other and how much we, we, we're all in this together and we can rally together and we're going to care for each other. And we really value that as an idea. But when it comes to actual practice, we end up with actually really shallow relationships that seem to uh, be shaken at the first sign of not agreeing on something. And uh, Jesus' friendship actually is a totally different model. He taught friendship, first of all, that it's supposed to be at the core of living the flourishing life that he has, uh, in, that he he intends for us as followers of Jesus. Friendship is meant to be at the very center. That's why he didn't just call, like, James or just call Peter. He called a group of people to come follow him as his disciples. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the implication there is that they're going to learn not only from Jesus, they're going to learn from Jesus together, but they're also going to learn from working out the way of Jesus in community together. Um, and John, uh, Jesus talks a lot in John 15 about friendship, which is really interesting because that's the last night before he goes to the cross when everything's going to feel like it's unraveling uh, and when he's really just giving his last words for, hey, listen, after this, everything's going to be different and I'm not always going to be with you. And here's what I want you to remember moving forward. And he says uh, some something really important in uh, John uh, in, in chapter 15. Uh, verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. So he teaches us in this passage what real friendship is all about. First of all, when we want to know what friendship is and what love really looks like, we have to look at Jesus. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So we have to, we have to see that uh, the, way, the way Jesus treated others is the way we're meant to treat one another. And I think if you look at what the world calls friendship most of the time, it's very far from how Jesus would treat people. Because notice how Jesus treated people who disagreed with him. Notice how Jesus treated people who maybe didn't meet his moral standards. Notice how Jesus treated people who didn't believe the same way he believed. And, uh, and it's, that's something that our world is not very good at at the moment, is following Jesus in that example of loving people as he loved. And then he also shows us that it involves giving our lives to and for one another. Verse 13 says, greater love knows no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I used to think about that only in terms of, uh, you know, dying. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to go step in front of a bus for somebody. And, well, there are and people... that's what Jesus did. That's yeah, what, that's yeah. what Jesus did, right? Yeah. And I would I would do that because the very next words when after he says that are, you are, you are my friends, so I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And I think there are certain people I would do that for. But it, it's a much... It's, that's almost easier to do that than to do the much harder work of daily giving your life for and to somebody. Daily, actually. You know, you might say, I'm willing to die for somebody, but are you willing to live for them? We, we, we talk about life-giving yeah, relationships give, that are life-giving. Right. You know? uh, and it makes me think of a verse in 1 Thessalonians 2.8 that says, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our, li- also our lives as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's so important. We can share 
the same beliefs, but we're also called to share our lives along the way as well. And that's been the most transforming thing in my journey following Jesus personally is the transforming friendships, sharing not just beliefs, but life as well. And then in verse 14, Jesus shows us that being Jesus' friends means that we're going to follow him and obey him. So we, how, do we, how, are we, how are we supposed to be friends with one another? Well, it begins by being friends with Jesus and submitting to him and following him and doing all the things that he's commanded. And then when we do that, we don't have to make up friendships or redefine what it means because he let us know everything we need to know about being friends. Uh, and he's called us to be friends to him and to each other. He says, I've called you friends. We're friends. We, we've like I've brought this community together. I've shown you the way. I've told you what my father said. I've told you the master's business. Now go about the business of being friends. And when we do that, when we are able to ju- jump into friendship in that way, even imperfectly, if we're able to jump into the Jesus-shaped friendships, it becomes revolutionary. And I mean that in a very real way. It becomes uh, totally countercultural. Mm-hmm. It becomes a sort of revolutionary friendship like John Newton and Wil- William Wilberforce had, where it actually ends up changing a whole nation, society, and ultimately the world. Yeah, it kind of it gets you all jacked up and saying, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And at the same time, it gives you a sense of peace and, ah, man, it'd sure be great to have friends like that. Yeah. You know, all at the same time. Yeah, and I think if you look at any anybody who's made a huge impact for the kingdom of God, you see all around them real, deep, powerful, Jesus-shaped friendships, and uh, they're able to do be such movers and shakers in the world because uh, of the friendships that they've, they've cultivated and created. It makes me think of a quote by C.S. Lewis from the book The Four Loves. Here it is, the obligatory C.S. Lewis oh, quote. Oh, yeah, but this is so cool. <laughs> Sometimes you, you just can't resist, can no, you? No, 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 no. He says, it is easy to see why authority frowns on friendship. Every real friendship is a sort of succession, even a rebellion. Hence, if our masters ever succeeded in producing a world where all companion, all are companions, but none are friends. And by the way, I think that idea of all are companions, but none are real friends that describes a lot of uh, where we're at today as a culture, they would remove, they would have removed certain dangers and will also have taken from us what is our strongest safeguard against complete servitude. Uh, This is why uh, when when people want to control people, like in POW camps, you hear stories about all this isolation because together people can rally and people can uh, do more than they can do alone. Because remember, two is not two times one, two is 2,000 times one. And so uh, when when we come together in these sort of Jesus-shaped friendships, our impact for the kingdom of God is 2,000 times greater. It's mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's something very... Um, countercultural in that sort of sacrificial, real Jesus-shaped friendship that actually not only changes the world, but in many cases offends the world and uh, becomes this thing that is uh, quite dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Yeah, it's it's eye-popping, and uh, it's not normal. It's not the usual, and, and it's beyond the normal. It's, it's super uh, natural in that way. And I think that's why Scripture makes it clear uh, that God wants to infuse and weave together our friendships in such a way that it changes the world. If you look at biblical history, you look at the history of the people of God, God's story, you see many, many friendships in there uh, through which th- uh, those friends became far more than they could have hoped to see in their lives alone. And uh, they, it opened them up to freedom and hope 
that they never would have seen before. I mean, just even reaching back to some ones, uh, I was thinking about this, the ones that are not, um, you wouldn't necessarily think of. And the reality is, is not, none, no human friendships are perfect because we're not perfect. So, but, but somehow God even uses the imperfections to weave us together. For example, uh, the friendship between Joseph at the end of Genesis and Pharaoh. And what's interesting about that one is Pharaoh was only a moderate believer in Joseph's God and didn't at all believe in Joseph's God until he started seeing stuff in Joseph. And they became, you know, such friends that Pharaoh trusted Joseph enough. If, if, if friendship is trust, he put Joseph in charge as number two in the entire country and completely trusted him with everything. Um, then there was David and Jonathan. That's the, the famous one. You know, Jonathan uh, was uh, Saul, uh, the first king of Israel, his, his son, and, and Saul wanted to kill David. And, and uh, Jonathan actually, you know, gave special treatment and information because they loved one another, the scripture says. It, it's really a compelling one because that's one that, the, a friendship that was, you know, closer than brothers. And then there's Moses and Aaron, and they were, they were somewhat related, but that's the beginning of the story about how well this is all going to play out. I mean, Aaron, you know, he did the the crazy stuff, uh, as we'll see next week, with the the uh, golden calf, and Moses has to come down the mountain. He breaks the tablets, and and uh, you know, Moses is sort of portrayed, and probably was sort of a fiery guy, and and and, and Aaron was more like, well, hey, they, they were bothering the people were bothering me, so but but yet they they stuck together. <laughs> That's a really good end. Aaron impression yeah, right there. You know, hey yeah, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I get that out of the Hebrew. <laughs> For but, sure. Yeah, all right. Uh, but, and then a, a great one is Ruth and Naomi, you know? Um, laying down one's life for a friend. Talk about that. I mean, Naomi says, go home. Everything's falling apart. You know, all her family's dying. And Naomi and uh, Ruth says to Naomi, no, no. Wherever you go, I'm going. And, and I'm staying with you. And uh, it's a phenomenal uh, picture of commitment between uh, uh, two people. Uh, in Scripture. And of course, there's Jesus and the disciples, and there's Paul and Timothy. You know, Paul is much older. Timothy is much younger. Paul has to uh, tell him to buck up and encourage him. But by the end of his life, when Paul's in prison and needing help, he reaches out to Timothy, and Timothy has to pick him up and encourage him. There's Peter and John. And that's just, all of this is just to, to name a few of those friendships that take people uh, in a direction that changes the world. And yes, it's possible if we, you remember the uh, Augustine's uh, quote uh, about love, the things that we love, and if you, if you pick out a people, and anytime you've got two or three people together, that's a people in that sense is what he's talking about. Uh, and if you love the wrong thing, you know, if, you don't, if, you're, if you're not loving God, if you're not loving him, if you're not loving Jesus and his way, then yeah, you're going to get off track and it, it's going to cause serious problems. But but uh, if you do, there's some amazing, amazing things that happen. God does something powerful. It's just like the, the verse that always keeps coming to my mind uh, about this, and there's a reason for that. I'll tell you that in a minute, but it's Proverbs 18.24. It says, one who is unreli- has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Closer than a brother. How is that possible? Uh, you know, I, I had a friend like that, and I, I put it in the um, the past tense because he's not living anymore. Uh, and I want I just wanted to tell you that because we're not. It's not that we're uh, we stopped being friends. <laughs> it's not that I did something stupid and scared him off, uh, which uh, that's happened before too. But what's funny is we're he was a, a professor at two universities, Christian universities uh, here in the states, 
really high-powered uh, universities, uh, Biola and, and Wheaton College. And uh, he, we were both sort of on the rational side of things. And so uh, <laughs> I remember he came to me one day after we'd been friends for about three or four years, and we just started, it just, it's, it became natural for me to come to his house and stay at his house, and he'd come out and, and stay with us and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, he came to me one day when I was uh, at his house, and he goes, I hope, I hope you don't think I'm weird. But he says, I don't think I've been friends with anybody like this before. I mean, guys, I'm not even sure we're supposed to be friends. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, I feel like we're brothers, like I could tell you anything. And I said, well, I, I feel the same way, and, and, but I don't think you're weird. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's kind of odd for me, too, but it's great. And well, said, yeah, I mean, uh, you guys might be weird for other reasons. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah, we, <laughs> we're both pretty nerdy. We used to, yeah, anyway, we, we and I'll tell you about that another time. We read a, a version of The Lord of the Rings called uh, Board of the Rings that was a mocker, mock uh, Lord of the Rings, and we just... We were, we were with a bunch of other people from this seminar that we were part of, and we're sitting on this couch just laughing our heads off, and they were looking at us like, what is wrong with these people? We thought those guys were like the professors or something. But anyway, but that was the kind of friendship we had. Oh, is that the end? Yeah. Well, sorry, yeah, sorry, take, sorry, 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 yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so... <laughs> enough, of, enough about my friendships, Ben. How about you? Okay, yeah. so it's time, it's time for our takeaways. <laughs> uh, so... Um, yeah, these sorts of Jesus-shaped friendships are essential and uh, valuable and and uh, life-giving parts of uh, following Jesus and of being resilient disciples of Jesus. Um, and I just want to say that uh, friendships like these, first of all, they don't just happen without us sort of seeking it, and they also don't just uh, happen overnight. Yeah. They take uh, time. They take time. So, uh, but first, the payoff is hope. The payoff is worth it for yeah. sure. But uh, just just encouraging everyone to take a long view of this, to recognize that uh, the thing we can do is take a first step, and that might mean uh, that for sure means praying, asking God to bring these kinds of friends into our lives, these sort of uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who we can journey along the way of Jesus with, and uh, also uh, maybe even taking the first step of friendship, asking someone to go to coffee, asking someone to uh, have a conversation, inviting someone to dinner, whatever it might be. Um, and, I, and I will also say that be patient. Some of these things take time, and uh, you may not immediately feel like you've clicked with somebody, but God will cultivate the right relationships that we need for the long haul, because He wants that for us. He wants, he wants it more than we want it. Um, and so we recognize that some people may be listening to this podcast from a place of discouragement, feeling like they've never really been able to cultivate friends like that, or maybe things have fallen through. And uh, especially right now, that might be true because we're in a pretty alienating culture, one where it's just uh, people uh, trying to decide who's with them, who's for them, and who's against them. That's that critical theory thing we were talking about. So recognize that it may not be you. It may be the culture that, that you're in that makes it difficult, but continue to pray, continue to see continue to take the first steps of friendship um, rather than, you know, sometimes it's easy to expect others to take the first step, but be bold and take the first step of friendship. Uh, and as we cultivate these Jesus-shaped friendships, we'll become more resilient followers over the long haul. So I think it's probably that time. Books and stuff. Books and stuff. 
I love that sound. That's an oasis of pleasant surprise. Oasis of it's the Garden of Eden public house Shire Oasis yeah. over here. Oh, what man. you can't see is whenever that uh, books and stuff sting plays, we silently dance to it because we can't actually hear it until we edit it in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we just want to keep it real, folks. Just keep it real. Uh, so we got only one uh, book uh, recommendation. Actually, I've got a couple. So oh, do you? Well, yeah. Praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> so I, I have a mea culpa to do. Uh, uh, I think I've mentioned this in passing. I'll just mention it this one time because I don't want to keep bringing up uh, my stuff in people's faces. But uh, I'm doing a doctoral uh, seminar uh, class in October of this year. And this is uh, August that we're talking about. By doing, about. he means teaching, Professor Tassell. Right. I should get the language down. Uh, but it's on, guess who? C.S. Lewis, The Inklings. No way. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, people like that. And... Uh, so I have to read my brains out in that right now. So it, it's normal that I would be quoting these people a lot, but it's even worse now. So just understand. And because... Yeah, I noticed I noticed you called me Tolkien the other day. It was really weird. Yes, I know. Uh, well, just just think of uh, next time I'll call you Tollers, because that's what Lewis <laughs> called it. Hey, Tollers. So, uh, but there is a book that's really good on friendship in that collection of work. In fact, I've assigned this book. It's called The Gift of Friendship. And it's by a, uh, a researcher from uh, England named Colin Durias. Uh, Durias, that's D-U-R-I-E-Z. And it's about the friendship that uh, really God brought together, they would both say it, uh, between C.S. Lewis and uh, J.R. Tolkien. And there's a lots to learn about friendship in there. So if you're looking for sort of a history that reads like a story, in fact, each chapter starts with a story that uh, Durias puts together out of the information that he's gathered, uh, kind of like our cold opens, then um, that would be a book for you, The Gift of Friendship. Well, while we have already opened the Pandora's box of C.S. Lewis, uh, I will just mention The Four Loves. We've mentioned it before, but there's a great section on friendship in The Four Loves. Very, very, very worth reading, even just for that one section on friendship. And I will also say a, a secular book, not necessarily a Jesus friendship book, but a really great book that celebrates friendship. We don't actually have a lot of those, do we? We have a lot of love no. stories, like romantic love stories, but not a lot of good friendship stories. Yeah. Uh, but a great book uh, by a secular historian, Stephen Ambrose, here has a book called Comrades, and the subtitle is Brothers, Fathers, Heroes, Sons, Pals. <laughs> That's great. And it's just, it's just famous uh, and transforming <laughs> uh, powerful friendships from history. So uh, you can check that out as well. Well, please uh, write a review, and uh, thank you for those of you who have. And uh, Share with your friends. That's a wrap. And I think that's a wrap. Thanks yeah. again to the Public House crowd and for all our special guests that are here tonight. Oh, look. Oh, Mary and Pippin. They came over from the Shire. I thought we were in the Shire. Well, I guess we are, but uh, you know the sun Fancy is. You can drink them by the flagon. <laughs> <laughs>